there's a difference when you come out of college, all collegiate girls come out into the ADP like, oh, we got it. You know, they like in the, they come in out of national championship that's happening right now. And they have all this training behind them and they very successful. And then once they graduate college, their first year, they really like, they come out as seniors, they come out so strong on the ADP tour, but after two or three years, they fade away because they don't know how to keep up with the professional training that they've had. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast, where we learn everything we can about playing and coaching beach volleyball. As always, you're welcome to visit our site, betteratbeach.com, where we have a number of ways for you to get better. We have online training programs that take you step-by-step through tutorials and drills where you can fix your passing, setting, arm swing mechanics, attacking, fence, and serving and blocking. Uh, You can also download our 60-day max vertical jump program. If you've ever asked yourself, am I really doing this right? Am I playing with the best technique, the best strategy, and where do I go for answers? That's what we do. We help players erase bad habits, uh, get more control of the game, and learn high-level strategy. Uh, We would love to see you at any one of our seven-day training camps where you can hang out with pros and get over 40 hours of training and playing at beautiful beach resorts, including St. Pete Beach, where our today's guest, Pre Lima, uh, is actually running a fantastic company. It seems like she's running like nine different companies. So I can't wait to actually talk to her about it. She's a longtime pro, a fantastic coach, entrepreneur that is from, from the outside, at least can't wait to dig into it. Looks like she's crushing it and, and creating opportunities for coaches and players everywhere. So we're going to talk to her about that. And as always, if you want to support your sport, beach volleyball, always, always, always support the creators and the people who are putting it out there and creating audiences and creating new things for players and enthusiasts to enjoy because that's where the bigger companies have big monies that can blow up our sport. That's where they look. So if you love this podcast, go ahead and subscribe to it and give us a five-star rating wherever you are. And if you really like the episode, go ahead and share it with the volleyball players and coaches in your life. Without further ado, Pre Lima, welcome. What's up, girl? Hey, what's up? <laughs> Just, I'm a former player. Former player. Yeah. But can you be a former player and still be able to absolutely crush all of your players do you feel like you have well, to like pat them on the butt a little bit sometimes just to knock the confidence I, uh, down one I step i don't crush all of my players but i still I, I can still teach some lessons like on the court let's just say that nice and now i did a quick a quick glance at bvb info and it said that you've been playing since you were 15 and you started playing in brazil right mm-hmm. i started when i was 15 in brazil indoor and then at 16 i started a little bit of beach so i was okay. playing beach since 16 and then i came to college and didn't play for like two years and then I found the beach community in Lafayette and then uh, I never stopped playing uh, beach like but you know like Louisiana beach volleyball we're just playing games and leagues and you know tournaments on the weekends but after I graduated from college I went straight to the ADP. That's unbelievable I think for people who are making you know now for I think for the women's game players who are able to make the transition from college to AVP quickly Mm -hmm. it's a it's a strange transition because you all of a sudden it was always strange because you went from a place where you're nearly coddled everything is put out on the court for you all of your equipment is there all of your coaches are there and then you get to the pro standard and it's like it's worse almost you know going from college is a better, more professional experience than actually playing pro. 
And I remember kind of when playing overseas indoor, it was so similar. Where in college, we had a locker room, we had one gym, we had chairs with our logos on it. And then you go over and you play pro overseas, and you're literally like playing in church basements in Sweden. Do you think that players are equipped coming out of college to be a professional AVP or FIVB player? Or is there a learning curve that they need to experience first? And what's the most important thing that they need to, to do in order to make that transition? Yeah, a little bit of both. You see top players that have, there's just those special players that they understand what it is to be professional and all that. What I was talking to, one of my girls, it's Lexi Danaberg. She is a UCLA. Um, and I, I told her, there's a difference when you come out of college, all collegiate girls come out into the ADP like, ah, oh, we got it. You know, they like in the, they coming out of the national championship that's happening right now. And they have all this training behind them and they very successful. And then once they graduate college, their first year, they really like, they come out as seniors. They come out so strong on the AVP tour, but after two or three years, they fade away because they don't know how to keep up with the professional training that they've had, just like mm -hmm. you mentioned. So I said, the difference is going to be the ones that understand that this is how you're supposed to train. Now, when you go pro and you're like, Hey, let's get a group over here and do triangle setting and then two sets to 21. That's not pro training. Pro training means you find a coach, you figure it out and find your way, but you find a coach and you train with that coach as much as possible, understand, or get a group of girls. Sometimes it's better to have four or six girls and you have the same coach and you guys able to afford. There's a program built for you. That's what I try to provide over here for my guys, especially for my girls that they actually train five days a week. And like you said, every, I try to give them everything they suppose they would need in their career mm -hmm. before, you know, they get out there and some have done it alone and some came straight to college to me. So they don't know the difference yet, but right. when they go alone, you know, if they ever go alone over there, they're going to be like, wow, we had a lot. You know, I just had a conversation with Billy Allen in a previous episode where we were talking about would, would American volleyball better off if, if the AVP kind of forced us to join clubs and then three teams or four teams all trained together under a coach so that there was a path that you could take. I think so many pros get, get lost because they don't set their own training plan. They don't set their standards. And then we have this obsession with always training against a new team or a different team, A, because we don't want somebody to know our game fully and B, because we seem to find this hardcore validity in always playing against a different team. But do you think that players are better off playing with three other people. Like if I'm, if I'm a player, I play with my partner and we train against one team and we have one coach and we have our path or would that team be better off all things equal? Of course, just playing against and with a different coach, a different player every single day mm -hmm. where they see the different battles and different mm -hmm. problems that they have to solve. Yeah. Well, my experience was when I got to, when a veteran pulled me up, she said, here's our coach. We're going to train like this. We're going to do like this. So we trained with the, with the same coach every day. Who was that? And then uh, Chacon, he used to be in California for a long time. And then he was also the coach of Elaine Young's and either Rachel or Nicole Brennan for a while as well. So we had our own practices at different times, but this will be the team that we got to practice with or against, okay. right? To get our reps. And by the end of the year, they were the two, we, they were second in the nation, we were third in the nation, but that's the only team that we we played against. Ever in practice. Yes. We may get some, you know, we call the dummies, like younger players just to run, but it was telling you like maybe two or three times a month. Mm. We didn't do anything else. It was just 
honed in on what we need to get better. Maybe what was the reason why we lost, you know, the last tournament, let's hone in and make sure we're better over here. Let's create new ways to score. Um, We know we kind of knew our bracket a little bit, you know, so we would like plan on like, this is how you're going to play against so-and-so you're going to do these things. So I didn't become a professional until I had that. And then from that on, that's what I try to create for myself as a player. I always got a coach. I want to organize practices. I didn't care who I was training against. It was about me and my partner creating us, us, us. And then we'll bring somebody like a team for one day, you know, just give us that. But at the same time on the AVP back then, we played 18 tournaments a summer. So we practice playing at the highest level. Next week, I'm applying at the highest level what I just try to fix during three or four days of practice before we travel and play again. So I believe like if everybody would have a coach, the level would be so much better. So think about how many girls by the end of by middle or end of the season, they all taped up. They got back injuries. They got shoulder injuries. They are overtrained because they go Monday through Friday in California or whoever, even over here, they don't have a coach playing, 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 playing. Like you can't play, you can't sustain that an entire year. Um, My girls, my players, my pro players play practice five days a week we don't jump on mondays tuesday we jump 25 percent. wednesday it depends if they traveling or not it depends when they their most important competition is because if they play a local tournament it's like go play tired i don't care where there's a program planned for them based on their most important like that you don't have that in america and then in brazil there's no like oh i'm playing professional and they're doing it on their own it's completely the opposite everybody has a coach they don't do without a coach there are no teams showing up without a coach in brazil that they're there every day with their coaches that's got to be why they're so deep. And I think that's why Europeans completely caught up with the U.S. For our men's, I hesitate to say done, but we're going to struggle currently. And, and I'm hoping one of the teams can, can really step up. But when I was playing indoor overseas, I was also doing some beach coaching and playing some beach. And I couldn't understand because the players couldn't dream of showing up to a volleyball court without, well, who's going to coach it? It was like the equivalent of players in the U.S. saying, well, where what net are we going to play on? We don't have a net. You know, like you would see that is impossible in the US and the mm-hmm. players in Europe were treating that even even at the B and AA level they were treating that as, as important as having a net like well who's mm-hmm. going to lead the training and I saw that difference and I said that's a little like less than creative but I think that's important you know the fact that they put that much emphasis on a coach and, and meanwhile there are still pro teams who are still in the top 10 that no, don't have a coach at least on the men's side on the women's side I think that kind of happens a little bit less what do you think do you think that women are more likely to, to grab a coach and, and to hold on to it than men. Yeah. And I train women and men and it's way easier to start women to train, get women to come at least try out training than men. It's really hard. Men don't want to pay for training. They think if they just get the best together and they scrim at each other, train or whatever they want to do, the little drills with not a coach and save the the 25 to 30 bucks that it is over here versus they think they're going to be better. They're going to play better. Everybody's going to improve because after all, you're getting your reps. But in Brazil, we say you're going to play like you never play before, but you're going to lose like you always lose because you're not fixing yourself. I like that. I do like when you came, when did you come to the U.S. to start playing? I went straight to college. So I was 19 when I came to the U.S. Was there a significant difference between how the Brazilian school of training was and how the U.S. school was in terms of college versus versus that? Because I know the sport club systems are kind of similar in a lot of ways between the U.S. and Brazil. But yeah, it is, but it isn't though. Like, let's say Rio is a huge city. Everybody knows Rio. Imagine Rio and, and Florida, right? Like, oh, one of the meccas of, of volleyball, the sport. How 
many clubs we have over here? I don't even know the count. In Brazil, when I play, we have six clubs. Like there are no, and you don't pay to play. You're invited to play. So if you have one day that you have a bad attitude and that coach is like, you know what? I'm done with you. Bye. And where are you going to go? You're going to go to the other club? Why are you here? You were with all the team. Oh, I got kicked out. They didn't take you. So you learn how to be like a professional since you're a, since you're a teenager because you're playing to show work and then you compete for a spot, but you're not paid. Like you don't pay to guarantee your spot. It's based on you. Um, that was different. And then what I noticed obviously is uh, training was very specific when I got over here. So Mia and one of my best friends, when, when we were like 15, we, we both came together and we we're both middle blockers. And we were the only middle blockers in the nation that played sixth rotation. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, and to today, I still have one of the top five uh, career, you know, uh, dicks in, in Awesome. School. That's big so, time. Like, As a middle, what? Yeah. And play middle back behind the block. Isn't that shocking? that the only position that people are refusing they like have to put a libero in is the middle where are the schools and why isn't it more frequent that you have somebody who can play middle excellently and is still legit on defense because i know that those players and those athletes are out there and all of these club teams and all these high school teams they say, well, no, the middle has to come out. That's an optional substitution. Yeah. That's optional. And some of the girls are clearly better athletes, you know, that are playing middle and then they get subbed out because there's mm -hmm. somebody with a different color jersey for indoor. But it starts from the beginning, right? You have to create more opportunities and sometimes even more money. You have two liberos now in the team and you have three middles versus just four middles, right? So mm -hmm. you have one more person paying for it. I don't know. But I think like they train six, four outside hitters to be six rotation why they're not training middle is just to have a good overall right yeah give them another skill set i yeah. it still baffles me we had a middle who was could have done probably whatever he wanted in volleyball but he just didn't he liked it in college he enjoyed it and he literally said to me he's like no i, I like my horses i like taking care of my farm he goes college has helped me with agriculture and, and like agricultural business. And uh, I'm good after college. He got invited to U.S. national team. He didn't even go. He's like, no, no. But he, when he was recruited in high school, he had a shoulder injury and he was a six, nine middle. He had a shoulder injury. And instead of him being out, they used him as a defensive specialist, as a libero. So my coach, without even seeing him play at that point, you know, without like watching the full game, he goes, your coach puts you, takes you out because you're the six, nine middle and puts you as a defensive specialist. Uh, when you have a hurt shoulder, he goes, you're recruited. I don't need to see any more than hear that statement. And he was, he was a freak athlete. He could have played any position on our team, on our team that he wanted. Uh, he just ended up being so quick to the pins and so big back to getting to the next level, going pro for the volleyball players who are coming out of college. I know that in your program, you see a bunch of different levels you focus right now on some of the pro players who are already AVP caliber and people who are just pushing that edge, who are in the qualifiers, have the ability to get into the main draw circle. What do you think, what are you seeing as the two most important attributes? And they could be mental or physical, but the two most important attributes for getting to the next level. It has to be your, let's just say your maturity for the sport because mm. it comes with the mindset. Being mature, not just like, oh, I pay my bills or I take care of my life. You know, I do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want, like not in an attitude way, but like, you know, this is my life and I can do all this, but like, but can you handle everybody when they start, they have like leaps of getting better, like the most improved player, right? I got that. I went from being mm -hmm. like eighth and ninth in the nation around that time. And I jumped in once in one season for third in the nation, I got MIP, but like, like, how did that happen? Well, I have, luckily I had a veteran who taught me during practices and during the game 
how to do that. But I tell everybody, I was like, I don't know how, but thankfully I had the mindset to support that. I was very mature about the game since I was young, probably because coming from Brazil, hold our ish together. We're not like losing our minds. You know, it's like, Hey, I'm every day. I need to show work. And I know my coach has my back and I'm going to struggle. So that's something that really try to teach my, from my juniors going to college. It's not easy. Like making mistakes is normal. Being Mm. good is special. It's not the opposite way. You're supposed to be good and making mistakes is special. It's not like that. So be mature to be able to, can you go an entire season trying to become 1% better? That's Mm -hmm. tough because everything else is like pretty good, but there's one thing that is holding you back and you have to fix it. In maturity, are you saying that you mean focus? What would another way to say maturity be for you? Maturity for me just, I guess, is like, is general for the mindset slash attitude, the focus, right? The discipline involves all the untangible things that you do on volleyball, right? Mm -hmm. And then another thing that makes a huge difference that when you become a, a pro, like for me, it changed my game when I had a coach and a strength and conditioning coach and putting in work off the court. Like it's not just train. Everybody trains in the whole entire world. They can get five to 20 practices a week. That's not going to make a difference. But are you intentionally doing conditioning? We call physical technical drills, like kind of like what you saw, what we were doing, right? When you came train. Everything's uh, footwork or, or volleyball movement based, but with a, with a physical, like additional challenge or a weight vest mm-hmm. or something. Sometimes we include ball. Sometimes we don't. And plus we have running and conditioning. Like conditioning is what you watch kind of like the circuits and then running sprints. And everything is like the intensity goes up and down depending mm-hmm. where they are in the season and the upcoming competitions. That I learned from my coaches as a player. And I kept on like brainstorming with them. And now I can call them and be like, help me out. How do I build this for my team? And that made me a pro. I was already training. I was already playing tournaments. I was already having pretty good, like miracle fifths with Angela Lewis on the AVP. But then what got me from fifths to six semifinals the next year in a final? A full-time coach, the ability to handle training at a much higher level and failing at a much higher level, which for me, I love challenge. So I embrace that. And also if I didn't have the conditioning to sustain the amount of training and, and the physicality, like, yes, we all want to improve our, our vertical and you will improve your vertical until you get to the point where, you know, at your career, you're improving your vertical at 1%, at 5%, you're not improving your vertical, like from the beginning of your career to, you know, you start with like, especially guys, I don't know, like 22 inches and you go to mm-hmm. 40 inches in the matter of like three to five years but like you're at that one percent trying to but can you sustain your best jump the longest an entire tournament that is conditioning as far as like the most important attribute I i feel like you're saying the ability to to plan out a season with practices and training so almost if if we if we dial it down like if we brought it back into its simplest form like the the person who can plan the best you know and and design a real season might be the person who is to the next level fast faster than somebody else who might just be playing. Would you agree with that? Is that, is that yeah, kind of what a, you're saying? I just, I'm so passionate about that stuff. It's just hard to pick too, you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm thinking, and maybe because I'm already thinking it's like, you have a coach mm-hmm. and this coach is doing this conditioning. If I put uh, work on this outside stuff, which is the outside work, Everybody lifts, but some people skip, but the conditioning makes a huge difference. And if you can do the untangible things, working on yourself to be more mature, aka develop you as a person Mm -hmm. to become the player that you want to become. What's one actionable thing that somebody could do tomorrow? One actual thing that they can, they can do tomorrow to live what you're saying, like hire a coach, step one, hire a coach, boom, figure it out and hire a coach. I'd be like, can you plan a season for me where I'm not going to get burned out? We're going to work our best not to get injured. 
you know, and you're going to get me in shape. That's huge. And then on your own, you're going to have to probably hire, a, I would say a sports psych or mm. get a mentor. Hey, could you be my mentor? I would love to talk mindset with you. I'm struggling at this. Mm. How can I make this better? And then have weekly or bi-weekly meetings. That, it was also something that when I became a pro with all this system, they told me, you need to get somebody to help you with your mindset. I and not because mentors, I needed my mindset. I think mentors are difficult to find. Like they hide themselves. You know, there aren't too many who announce themselves as say, hey, we're available for you. You know, you do it. I do it. There's a few other people who are putting themselves out there. Uh, Sam Pedlo, Dustin Watton does it for indoor. Josh Binstock. Josh Binstock is now doing it even more and mm-hmm. more. And mm-hmm. these are people who are shouting yeah. and we have to shout so repeatedly like, hey, <laughs> we're here if you want help. If you're not paying attention to one of the five of us, then I think it's so tough for people to actually find somebody who it's like, hey, can you lead me? It's it's almost like mentors have to find their students and, and mm-hmm. seek them out when it should be the reverse. But then when you're looking out for a mentor, it looks like there's, you know, hundreds of thousands. So how do you choose? And, and mm-hmm. I think that's a difficulty that a lot of people run into of finding that person that they want to guide them through their, mm-hmm. at least a part of their season or their whole season yeah. or their career. And when that would be and, the fastest way to get better. Yeah. But what can you do? yourself then, right? So you're going to be proactive. So the first AVP that I had this veteran in Chicago as a coach, um, I took on myself to read books, you know, the mind gym. I luckily got introduced to Mike Gervais. I had a couple of sessions with him, but then everything else was on my own. I, um, in pursuit of excellence, whatever other mindset books. And I was like, I was a professional. So my free time is dedicated to volleyball. Did I watch film? I'm looking at everything. It wasn't like I just read something, somebody saying how to be more mature about volleyball, watch films, but don't watch your highlights, you know, study yourself, like, because people want to see, oh, look how cool, because that's what they want to put on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. And don't watch trying to prove yourself right. That's what people Mm -hmm. do. They, They think they have this notion of, I know how it's done. And then they watch the film like, yes, I did exactly how I think it's done. That's not helping you. If you already know that that's like what you should be doing. You need Mm -hmm. somebody who can challenge all of the things that you're not seeing because your mind is only cued into what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And so you're not changing when you watch your own film with the exception of seeing like some of the big ones where you know what's right and you're like, oh my God, I didn't get my feet stopped. Like, "Ah, come on. But you, you don't get any fresh ideas, which means that you don't actually see any exponential growth unless you have somebody else looking at your stuff you know what's been really really fun is you had an interview with her like i've been working with kim hildreth this year she's great and just a great human and she's been like she's been successful right she has a good career already but her openness to tweak the things Mm -hmm. that i told her i thought was going to make her better Mm -hmm. and we tweaked her passing we tweaked her setting we added to her setting she can jump set any ball now she can you know so what it like, it's been super cool to see. We tweaked her second ball, so we tweaked her hitting a lot. Actually, we did a lot with her hitting. We tweaked her defense. Finally. How long and does each of these things- tweaks take for you? So when, when you see something, do you say, do you like comment on it and, and go piece by piece? Or do you say, hey, these next two weeks, we're going to add this to your onto game, just this little tiny piece. Do, do you have a, a how long it takes process or how I long? I think it depends on, on the, it really depends on the athlete. Okay. She was willing to get 1% better all the time. And she's really good. This practice, my goal is to do this and this and this. So I'm going to, I don't care if you miss, I don't care if you hit two courts away, 
but we're getting your, your risk faster. Thousand balls out and you get 10, we're winning. To have that mindset and being okay making those mistakes is hard if you're an athlete who seeks confirmation of how good you are all the time. That's a great so, point. Seeking confirmation of how good you are. E, that's a thing people need to watch out for, but you don't know when you have it. Maybe this conversation so, will make people think like, maybe it'll make yeah. them think. That was cool. You know what I mean? Like it was, it's on her success. I tell everybody, guys, when I, I coach, you, you see me, like I coach passionately, like a good person, like does. you know, I'm there with you guys in, in practice, but I said, I've done it. I want you to get it before I got it. Your success depends on you, not on me. When you're coaching and maybe, maybe it can come from your history too, but what technique do you think people get wrong the most as, as far as like across the board, if there's one thing that the most people think that they're doing right, but they are doing wrong or not at its best form, what, what skill do you think that is? Or what part of a skill? Well, I love setting. I need and pick setting. Most of my players, when they go and play with other players, they like, whoa, their sets are so different. Really like the slow moving, slow peak. We're not caring, but it's just making the ball moving the same tempo. So I say, you, you got to nail the tempo and the peak and the location will come, right? So if the ball's moving consistently all the time, you as a hitter be like, I got time to take a step in. I got time to take a step out. But if the ball moves here, 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 and it's different times. And yeah. that's when you're like, you're rushed. Oh, now you, you don't know as a hitter when to take off. But if your ball is always moving this way over and over again, even if it's a tempo and it moves this way, something mm. different. So like, like faster hands versus, I know we're talking on camera. Sometimes we have to like dial it back for if somebody's listening, audio version. So uh, Pre just made, a, made like a fast motion with her hands and then a slow motion with her hands. And if you hit one ball yeah. fast, or sorry, if you set one ball fast and one ball slow because of the different rhythm in your hands or how fast or slow even your form forearms move on a forearm set yeah changing the rhythm of what you look of your like, hitter their timing gets jacked so are we going to be able to face all the time where we want to set no because the game is so dynamic but mm -hmm. trying your best right so at the end i always tell us like are you give your hitter psychological safety show your hitter what do you intend to do and just let the ball move really slow from there okay and then you as a hitter you're going to appreciate that for me i think there's a lot more better setting to happen all around versus just throwing a ball. I tell my players, if you play with me, it's going to be really hard because I need the slow tempo set. I'm not young that I can explode and go get a ball where guys, guys can explode, get a ball, be like, yeah, the good set, dude. But like, yeah, but try, it wasn't really a good set. Yeah. You just recover from that. You know, it's not like you recover from it and it looks like you could still hit hard because you're jumping high and you're strong. It still masks itself because that's repeatable over a hundred, a thousand sets. And that's why I say simple is repeatable. You when want you, to show consistency. When you see Ricardo set, it's crazy how even when he's running, falling, standing still, the speed of his forearm lift stays exactly the same. That's exactly you know, what like I'm he'll about. be falling, he'll be on one leg, about to land on his knee, and that that platform, that slow, slow platform just still moves in slow motion. And you're like, ah, it, it looks like, you know, when they put in an action movie and somebody's like shooting and diving at the same yeah, time and they, like, and they always put it in slow motion. That's how it looks like when, when he sets or when he's falling or diving. Is he moving fast or slow? I can't. I tell my juniors, I say, you're a ninja on the bottom, like move your feet really fast, but you're dancing waltz on top. Then another thing, if they're falling, I say, we call it holding the baby. 
Have you ever seen anybody fall with a baby and put the baby down to hold themselves? I see people like pools and on the beach playing volleyball with beers in their hands. I've never, thankfully, not too many people that I see are falling with babies in their hands. But if we can throw it to my adult like campers out there, like, you know, just pretend you're not spilling the beer as you fall. (laughs) That would be a great drill. I can't say that to my juniors. No, no, good point. Good point. Yeah. Ask me how I know that nobody drops a baby. How do you know? I Were felt you with a baby in my hands. Oh. I felt with a baby in my hands. And I don't know why. All I remember is that I was on the ground and the baby was on top of me like this. I right. was holding it up. And I was like nine years old and I had a baby. And just that's walking the around. day you became an elite setter. And I was trying to explain, how do you make somebody hold? Like it's an emergency. Don't let it go. It's like, hold the baby. And I think metaphors are the answer for elite coaching. Like you have to be able to transfer to, to say what you want to say, but just so that somebody else understands it. Maybe my best skill set as a coach is just the ability to say one thing in 50 different ways, you know, until like something clicks on you. And I think that's why yeah. some coaches actually fail with athletes because they say one thing over and over and over and over and they keep saying mm-hmm. that same thing, but it's like, can you put it? in some different words for me? Or can you show me? Or can you have somebody else show me the difference between yeah. what you're, where you're trying to get? Like, I don't think enough coaches have a metaphor database in their head for each skill or each way. I think because you and me end up coaching so many athletes that we have to use so many because we have so many individuals. Like somebody who coaches a college team, I can't, I'm not knocking them, of course. But if, if you're only coaching, you know, 12 athletes per year, you find the 12 metaphors that work for slowing down when you're setting, then you're done there. But if you have somebody new on your court every time. single day and they don't For get sure. number 12, then you got to move on to yeah. 13, 14, you know, so you they, get a bunch of tool belt. You know, but even with 14, like my wife is a college coach and I've mm. helped her so many times. It's, we, we still, her and when I helped her, we still got to find those ways. And because when players are younger, they forget, they don't sustain and retain everything. So if we're like on pre season and we got like, okay, we honed in on this type of technique and then we're building out the techniques when you try to apply in the beginning of the season, they might've forgotten and we have to review that. So, and same thing with upcoming pros, like they, or my juniors, I know I taught them, but they don't sustain it and retain it. So yeah. I have to have a little reminder. Hey, remember that practice isn't this, Hey, let's get three reps this way so we can move on and do this new thing where you can apply. But I joke with my players, like you chose me to be your coach. I try to speak, you know, all these languages But after three months, y'all need to speak pre. Once they understood, once you got them to understand what you're trying to say, then you can say it however you Mm -hmm. want. That first border that you have to get Mm -hmm. past in order to do it. Yeah. I have two former indoor setters that I coach. One is Kim and one is Kenley Adams. So like early wrists or early hands or get your wrists ready, cock your wrist back, you know, whatever it is. So we've been finding... And then it's like two or three months, one thing works. And then all of a sudden it's gone and we need to find it, you know, but I'm, we're saying the same thing, but then with somebody more experienced as Kim, she finds it right away and she sustains it longer. And now we found one that I think like is helping Kenley and she sustains longer. It's more talking about her hands versus her wrists, you know, to nice. be able to set. But that's what I tell say. Hey, whatever. If I forget your cue, remember when I say that it means this to you. So I try to help them, you know, and that's why I think it's so important to take notes on your practice, which mm. I did. You become a student of yourself in the game. We, as you saw, we have water and notes. They don't go just to water. 
they supposed to go over there and ride the cue or, you know, if I have my players who also coach for me, ride the drill, mm-hmm. they're going to remember better and the goal of the drill and or what do you need to get better and what are you adjusting, what are you not adjusting? So we always do that. When you write that, when you have them write their in their journal, because I'm actually trying to develop a volleyball uh, performance journal where mm-hmm. it's just prompted, you know, you could let it. So it asks the questions that every coach would want them to answer on a water break mm-hmm. and after practice. But would you have the tips that they want to stick? Would you have that just for that day? Or would you have a section of like tips you want to stick? Or is that the entire journal? Is the entire so, journal just made of tips you want to stick? Yeah, that's kind of like that. Because some yeah. days you're going to struggle with some days that like, go back. If I'm not there, hey, this past match, you struggle with this, go back on your notes. Okay. Um, if we're learning something very new or very important, I tell them to put a box. So then when you flip, you're going to see it. And then there's something that I love that I said is one of our sequences that we call when I am tired. And mm-hmm. then you're going to be when I am tired, I don't move my feet. When I am tired, I don't adjust well to my set when I am tired my arms are not early to pass you know so they start learning themselves like you know that you take one or two reps like oh I'm tired I need to work hard on this but younger players or less experienced players they can be older but they have less experience at the high levels like we got to catch when I'm tired a lot faster Hmm. not after seven points that's interesting I have a weird take on fatigue in game because I have been pretty well conditioned you know like I did a lot of the outside gym work so when people talked about fatigue and how tired you get and how important conditioning was maybe I automated like the outside training so well but I never understood how do you get tired this is beach volleyball like I couldn't Mm -hmm. understand that there was fatigue I do see it in some players and then you'll see like one little bit of technical slide Mm -hmm. you you know that something just falls apart for a single point or they fall asleep because they don't put a hundred percent energy they put like 95 and that's where it goes and i think my the first wake-up call wasn't really a wake-up call but i learned it over time when people said oh you just they just lost focus they just lost focus i used to hate fans who would say that about anyone they're on the court. Like there's no way they're not, they're losing focus. But then I I caught it in myself where I said, there were points where I didn't stare straight at the server, straight at the serve contact and like Mm -hmm. fully 100% engaged before the point started. I kind of stared at his body, uh, was there. I didn't set myself up in a perfect athletic position. And I think those are the details that a lot of definitely young players and non-perfectionists miss of, are you going to start every point the exact same way and with full 100% intention? And I finally understood what some of the fans were saying in lost focus, but yeah. in fatigue, I imagine that happens as well. And the only times I've experienced that is Florida, Texas, New Orleans, because I'm just heat. like trying to keep my eyes open as sweat is dropping into like my pupils. My favorite. I love that feeling. So the people that don't prepare as well, they get fatigued. And then some people think that they're tired or fatigued when they breathe hard. And I'm like, at the end of the drill or at the end of that point, look back right now in less than 15 seconds. Could you have done more? Yes. Mm-hmm. I said, well, your mind is playing a trick on you. When you're fatigued, you go and then all of a sudden your leg trembles and you like fall on your knees before you're supposed to. That's fatigue. Breathing hard sometimes is not fatigue. I'm all about mental health. I'm all about uh, balance. I'm all about um, longevity on the sport. Hello. You know, I played for a long, long time. So I try to teach them that it's not about pushing your body, but you need to check yourself out. Are you freaking out because you, you know, you, you're breathing hard. There was a player on the tour on the ADP back then. Every time she came to Florida, Texas, she already, she looked at me. She's like, you're going to serve me short and deep, aren't you? Yes. 
That was the game plan and she knew. And guess what? Nowadays people be like, well, but she knows, you know, but she knows that I know that she knows she knows. So I should change. No, here you go. Because it's already in your head. Here you go. Go again. Go again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Go again. Yeah. I had two partners that that was the answer serving short long enough and we would crush for a full set and then it would get really tight in the second set and if it went to a third set we were in trouble you know Mm -hmm. and the tour knew because it seemed like this happened match after match after match Mm -hmm. it almost seemed seemed like the whole tour was just like ganging up on you because everybody (laughs) did it so if if we won the first two that the third team was like thanks first two teams for local tournament players i think that that's valid that hey if it's not working for you in pool play by serving the person short but you think that that's the right strategy you might meet them first game of playoffs second game of playoffs you might come back against them and now with this new stupid modified pool play i will go full throttle on saying that is the stupidest way to run a tournament and gives nothing in terms of rankings. You might as well just not rank anybody at all. But that could be one of your valid points where now you're modified pool play for a qualifier. So, hey, you're going to run into this team again uh, if you make it to the quarters or the semis. So even if you don't beat them this time, you'll have fatigued them enough so that it'll pay off in the long run. And I think people think about individual matches sometimes maybe mm-hmm. a little too much, but a strategy like that can work over time. It's just embarrassing when it does for the person who like can't handle a full match or a full tournament. Yeah, but it comes down to the training. Yeah. You can play all the volleyball you want in the deepest sand and play volleyball. Are you training? Are mm-hmm. you working on your skills to be efficient at how you get to that ball, how you push off? How are you going to get your footwork over there? So, you know, like, you know, the entire time using more energy, you're not efficient. And then are you doing your conditioning? Are you doing, but are you going to do conditioning all the time? No. Why are people doing, you know, are you going to run every day? No, that's not, you have to get a professional to do that. Once I had a professional and then I learned from my professional coaches, then I was able to build this, you know, and obviously I've had less people or, or less investment and slowly growing my pro program. And then this is the year I'm going full throttle with them. And I said, we're doing this. You guys are going to do what I did when I was playing my best volleyball. And it's been really cool to see results. I think people forget a very important point in terms of conditioning. Your, your body, the more you do a singular movement, the more your body figures out how to do it better faster, easier, while costing less energy, actual less calorie burn, the more you do a similar movement. So if you're going in there and, you know, for all the dudes out there who are chucking through bench press and burning all their calories, like on a bench press and on hardcore shoulder presses, it's like you could be utilizing these calories towards building a pathway that will make this movement easier for you during matches. And when you do get so fatigued, hey, guess what? Your pathway is built. So your body will default to that instead of Mm -hmm. some sloppy other movement that wasn't ingrained every single movement. And I think every time I see a Brazilian training on like uh, Instagram or, or, or one of those, it's all those movements it's it's non-stop step shuffle it's non-stop like uh step outside all of their movements is not just erratic movements or, or jumping in random directions it's it's so close to how they would move in the game and there's so much movement in between touches and a lot of drills uh, but they also have a million touches of practice because they got nine people coaching them <laughs> i just i just show my players a picture of my 
my <laughs> coaching staff in 2011. I had a coach, an assistant coach, three arms and a ball shagger. Incredible. Gosh. And Lucas, who's, who's taking your classes, he's like in Brazil, it was costing him like 50 bucks a month for that and for training every day with that many people. Mm -hmm. I was just like, dang, it should yeah. be the answer for every American like mm -hmm. to go down there and use that the exchange rate and get a million touches per practice with perfect conditioning. For Somebody sure. can come up with a better company, a better way to, to train and help players sustain their living up here because that's the hardest part yeah. is... Yeah, I want to commit all these cheaper. hours, but I don't have the money to be able to pay rent. Florida is cheaper. I provide group training. I have partnership with chiropractors who you got to, to, to yep. see him to um, other companies, anything. I call my Optimum Beach team. So like I have chiropractors, massage therapists, whatever you need, everything at discounted price, because I feel for the pros nowadays where they don't make the money that I was able to make when I was mm. playing. So I want to try to like, you might train in a group but it's, you are going to improve. Like, I'm not going to show up. Like, I don't care about you. I'm more devoted. I feel like I'm more devoted to your volleyball than you are. Sometimes I tell them all the time, you know, you're gonna, like I said, your success is with you because I'm presenting everything to be successful. So yeah. that's on you. Yeah, I love but, the program that you've got there and how many options players have for health, for body work. And, uh, you know, you were the first person that I called when I was like, Hey, you know, I know elite athlete, elite coach, you're going to like take care of your body. So there's got to be people, you know, here who are doing good body work. And as mm -hmm. soon as you recommended your place, I went there, signed up for an appointment and yep. If I were a physical therapist or if I were a chiropractor, I think the elite athlete population is probably the first people that I would start trying to get on my side, or I would just sponsor them mm -hmm. because people trust them. Who do you go to? Like people actually yeah. will seek out, yeah, they seek out their friends and advice, but more often mm -hmm. people will ask us, who do you go to? So if you're out there and you're a physio or you're a Cairo, go and sponsor an athlete with some body work. And I guarantee mm -hmm. you, if you have openings in your calendar, they will fill them with their recommendations. You know, that'll For be sure. worth, there's your marketing budget right there. Give, give an athlete an hour a week. I think something that is really important, that's whoever is used to work with an athlete, the mindset is how do we keep you in the game while yes. you might have some tweaks where you go another place. Like I have a, a bet, my best friend in Brazil is like, oh, my doctor said I need uh, meniscus surgery. I was like, what kind of meniscus? What's going on? And then it was something minimum. I was like, no, go, go look for a performance doctor. Don't mm -hmm. look for a regular doctor because some people might need to, uh, you know, there's, I feel like there's physical therapy for the general population. There's physical therapy for an athlete. Yes. And then there's sports performance therapy. And, and, and there's the things. rules that you're locked in because people are scared, afraid of insurance and the whole doctor thing. I, I currently have a broken foot. Um, so fell out of a tree sucks. I'm out of commission. But one doctor that I went to was the fastest appointment that I can get, not who my people recommended, but I wanted to get into somebody fast. So I went to somebody who he, first of all, couldn't find the fracture on the x-ray. That's bad enough. And I was like, here it is. I will point out where it is, where the emergency room like showed me. But then he was like, I was telling him how easy certain movements were and that there was no pain. And he was like, no, 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 no. This needs to be in a boot for eight weeks. Well, actually nine weeks. Cause I have an appointment available in nine weeks. So keep it in a boot for nine weeks and then we'll see if it's there. I go no movement. I, I just told you that all these things don't cause any pain, any issue. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you keep me in a boot for nine weeks, it's going to cost me an extra five weeks just to get my mobility 
and some version of strength and flexibility back. Mm -hmm. I go, so now you're telling me with your advice that this is going to be a 14 week situation when I know that my people can get me back in six, seven, you know, if, if I take care of it and eat right. Yeah, total. And, you know, I, I'm connected with a bunch of people. So I said, you know, this is what he said. What do you guys think? And I've been through enough injuries where I know that this was BS. And they're like, oh, why? Why would you leave a boot on when you're sitting around the house doing nothing and like when you can move pain-free? But they're so locked in general population and insurance and, you know, what their system tells them that they have to do instead of working with people who are like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to walk again. I want to play in six weeks. Yeah. I want to play professional volleyball in six weeks. Yeah. How do we do that? He goes, impossible. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cause I've got six people who like are within a block of me telling me what, what they can I think, do. you know, when my wife had cancer, you know, so we tried, we did chemo and holistic treatment and then mm. everything else for me is like, this is what they know for us as athletes is understanding this coach sets this way. This other coach sets this way and they don't like each other's way. So that's what they believe in, you know, and that, that, that's all they know. And that's Mm -hmm. why there's something more specified for athletes nowadays. We're much luckier than we used to be where it was hard to find even a performance gym. Everything was just gym. Yeah. Some space where I can can run fitness, personal, like training was fitness. It wasn't like, Hey, I'll be your strength and conditioning coach. It was hard to find those. Yeah. Thank God it's easier now. And thank God that gyms have the areas with, if I see a gym with a turf area, that's like longer than 20 yards or longer. I'm like, this is my place. I am so happy you exist, you know, and and I'll go there way Mm -hmm. over the the meathead, like box gyms with all the stupid machines that waste time and money. But uh, for a different podcast, slamming the current gym culture. I don't want to keep you for too much longer. But I do want you to talk about the 27 different companies that you're currently running. And I don't want to have you on the on the other podcast that so we can like talk about like the business side of it. Uh, but let's start with Rise Beach Tour. So Rise Beach Tour, we're very small and we started like we have five stops last year and there was a little gap between like having good quality tournaments and we wanted to present something that it's me former brazilian uh player he also played fib rodrigo sounders and his wife and my wife were the four owners of the company but we wanted like players to come in play they know where they're gonna go everything is online he's so cute like he rakes between matches you know like we just wanted to be like, hey, we know what it is to show up at a, a, a local tournament and you don't know what time you play. Oh, you, you like there's no communication and we just want to run something smooth for you. And we want to at that time, some tours over here weren't paying like in person where it used to be common. So why we're we not paying people in person anymore? We're like, mm-hmm. we'll pay on the dot, transfer straight to your account right away. I'll sell you to our account. You know, we're, is we're it juniors or adult focused? Both. Okay. So here on Saturdays, we run adults, all levels. Where's here again so that everybody knows? Sorry, St. Petersburg, Florida. Nice. Um, And then on Sundays is co-ed and juniors. So we're having our first one this year, Memorial Weekend. So if you're playing pro in New Orleans on AVP, go get your money. Yeah. But if you're not traveling to watch them, come to St. Pete and play a fun tournament with us. Awesome. And I think there's a... We had another episode, don't remember which one it was, but we talked about tournament organizers and how the large majority of them, it's like an embarrassing product that they're putting out. They are putting it out, you know, they're creating ability to play, but as far as 
hey, do you run the best tournament or are you the only one around here who runs tournaments? There's a big difference in that. And if you can't finish a tournament before sunset, something went terribly wrong in your scheduling. And on the next day, you need to go back and say, what did we do wrong? Why did our finals have to be played in the dark with you know third through first splitting a check? That to you should be, you should give the first place prize money to every one of those teams because you didn't do your job as the tournament organizer. Mm -hmm. And I understand for the first year, there's going to be hiccups, but if you're going to keep putting that product out and keep inviting players, do a better job and have somebody walk around, point at a player and say, you're up. If you don't start your match in 60 seconds, you are out of the tournament. People Mm -hmm. just aren't mean enough to be able to do that. Um, So I think everybody needs like an enforcer, you know, a a goon, if you will, at every tournament organizer or somebody who's just willing to say, guys, we need a good product. So please start your tournament because I don't want you to have to sit here and, you know, argue with your family members because you Mm -hmm. need 12 hours for your tournament day instead of like, hey, we could get this done in eight. For sure. We have a wife for that. She's been working with us and she's awesome from South Florida. And another thing is like, we make people play for third. You cannot split. So long as you're not making them play in the dark. Yeah, Yeah. no, wherever we've been, we've had lights. So because Mm -hmm. we had ring delays and all that, we do that. And over here in Florida, because we always anticipated some type of rain delay, weather delay, we always say like, expect 16 or 18 teams or more teams. We might go to two days. Mm. That's a different story. If you got to play in rain, things like that. But if if you're not finishing in one day or... You know, there's one pool that took literally an hour and a half longer than all the other pools. It's not the pool's fault. It's not the player's fault. It's who's ever organizing the tournament, the tournament director. It's got to be their fault. So I want to put some, I'm leaning on tournament directors and I want to put some pressure on them to to run better, easier, faster tournaments that people can predict. And, you know, you're not sitting around out there. Challenge accepted. Nice. (laughs) I like it. Rise Beach Tour. Next, Optimum. You have clubs in multiple states you have a strong online presence. So what is everything that Optimum Beach Volleyball includes? So Optimum Beach started as I've always had like, I actually only had like two or three juniors and I had two or three adults. I started, you know, word of mouth, just growing, growing, growing. Long story short, there was a, when my wife went through cancer, it kind of like folded and I just had a, like, I built it to something like having more kids, more groups. And then I have to you know, slow it down again because Focus. I was her um, okay. primary t- caretaker. Uh, and then we rebuilt it since 2016. Oh, wow. It started that long ago. Uh, we started in 2014. So mm-hmm. in 2015, she was diagnosed with cancer. So a year, a year and a half of treatment. And then I was back into like full-time coaching and being able mm-hmm. to build everything. And then like you have dreams and you have vision, you know, and you're like, okay, but I never knew when it was going to happen. Our adults like grew tremendously and then our juniors now we started growing juniors more outside of st Pete. so we're in tampa clearwater i mean tampa palm harbor and temple terrace when you say the adults grew the juniors what programs does optimum run that adults partake in and that juniors partake in so for juniors we have juniors beginners juniors intermediate and the advanced juniors is called collegiate recruiting training program level one and level two so ultimately you want to graduate to level two. That's who trains with me. And then it's right before they go to college. Those are my highest level juniors. Okay. Um, so that's, that's club volleyball. Mm-hmm, that's club. Okay. Well, I don't run entirely as a club. We have a piece as a club that we travel together to like three to five competitions as a club and represent the club. 
mm-hmm. everything else. I run them like I, I'm their coach, mentor, and trainer. Okay. I'm getting you ready for college, cool. putting in a group scenario, you know, because I don't think playing club all the time gives them preparation. They're over there, you know, some club is like, oh, we got you, 20 of you go, you know, and we try to keep our accounts not huge, but not small, yeah. but we try to provide quality. We do have a little big spikers, six through nine-year-olds too. Nice. And then our adults, we have women's pro, men's open, women's open, men's double A. We're about to start a men's A. Nice. We used to have women's double A. So it kind of like it floats depending on demand, you know, and that's, travel. That's focused in flood. Okay. So that's, and that's focused in, in St. Petersburg in Florida Mm -hmm. for adult training and juniors training and kids Mm -hmm. training. That's awesome. If somebody were, because a lot of people travel and, you know, like our camps are in St. Pete, but we're only there, you know, a few weeks a year. So if somebody Mm -hmm. were to travel to Mm -hmm. St. Pete for vacation or just for volleyball, because there are a lot of them, could they look you up and could they just drop in? Yes. Yes. So we have available drop-ins. We try to match you up with the best possible group for your level. And then if not, we also offer private lessons. I have many coaches um, available for private lessons. My time is kind of hard to get in. Mm -hmm. So it really depends. And if you come with a group, we can cater to you. So, oh, you come in with a, I've had that. I have um, Natasha from New York. She came for her 50th um, and she brought uh, nine, 10 friends. Cool. And I did a training camp with them for that week. Great. So we can cater training and. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So a group mm-hmm. of friends wanted to go down and they were like taking a group vacation. So they, they came to you and they said, Hey, can you train all of us at the same time together? And you're willing to do that. And you made their trip. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And, uh, that that's all at optimumbeach.us. Is that right? Is that the website? Mm-hmm. Optimumbeach.us. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And most, most information you can get through our Instagram and then you DM us and they quickly just send you where you need to go. Depending on the level or whatever you're looking for, they send you to me or most of the things are going to go towards Jules, who's my co-director. Jules Coles? Jules. Her name is Jules Colina. 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 I don't know why I called her Coles. Awesome. What was her name? Dang it. Now I'm trying to remember what her name uh, was before she got married. Ridley. Jules Ridley. And you have clubs uh, with the optimum name in Tennessee and in New York, and you're also doing a lot with Volus. So what's going on there? So I have satellite clubs. I own, I'm a partner owner in New York and then satellite in Kentucky and Tennessee. And Dorsey, who owns Volus, mm-hmm. owns him and his wife own Kentucky and Tennessee. So Volus is his facility and apparel company, but his beach volleyball training is optimum. Okay, cool. So what we do I saw is- a partnership there. Yeah, so what I like to do with them is- pretty much coaching the coaches, you know, and becoming a big family. So we had a club V club competition. So I was like, how many of your girls can come? How many of your girls can come? And we just mix them up. They're all optimum. They all have the same, you know, they understand the same terminology or whatever we talk about. And then they play together. And it was really cool to see that somehow the way I made the teams, none of the girls that train in the same state ended up playing with each other. So we had Tennessee and Florida, Kentucky and Tennessee. and, And you couldn't tell they never played together. And to me, sitting back and seeing that for the first time, I was like, it works. This works. You know what I mean? Like yep. when you get great system. you get to play volleyball with somebody that doesn't have a system. Yes. Right. It's hard. That's like, oh, we didn't gel well. Well, you don't have a system. Mm-hmm. So either you implement the system, but as a junior, how much is a junior going to implement the system? Right. Not a lot. But our juniors, like I train them. This is a system. 
but you're going to talk to your teammates, whoever you, or your partner, whoever it may not be for ops. And you're going to figure it out how you're going to do their system or your system mm-hmm. suggest our system or play around their system. Because once you have a system, you, you understand what's outside of the system. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a system, you don't understand any system. For club coaches out there. And I think you and me both see this, uh, huge opportunity to help club directors specifically to say you don't have the weekly meeting with your coaches that discusses the words that you use and the way that you teach this and so instead of somebody being in your club for four or five years and a linear growth line you know something where they progress they they grow with one coach and then the next year there's just this huge zigzag for the first two months until they learn mm-hmm. a completely different system, way of talking, way of learning, and then they go there. So instead of this, like just continuing to increase their skills and ability and knowledge, a lot of the club directors who are still doing great things, they're just, again, not directing it. You know, going back to players, like no mentor, no director, no, mm-hmm. hey, how can somebody else look at my club and what would they say? about our coaching when they see it. And I've walked into a lot of juniors club and coaching practices where that's exactly what you see. You just see it's sporadic, you know? So there's, there's no progression from being 12 years old until 18. It's you join a team for a year and then you join a new team for a different year but you're wearing a Jersey with the same name on it. That's the, mm-hmm. you know, that's the only thing except for teams like sports performance in, in Illinois, who turns out products, you know, they have mm-hmm. a system. Every coach is on the same thing and they turn out mm-hmm. products and a college coach can predict the type of player that's going to come out of that. So it's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, and I think there's just a lot of room in the consultation space for club directors and for coaches, but it's also tough to admit to yourself that somebody knows better than you but it's not that they know better they can just see from different eyes yeah well i don't the reason why we chose my wife and i chose the name optimum because it's not the only way it's the best possible way so i never tell my players i know everything this is the only way this is what worked for me this is what i'm learning i'm always talking to my mentors former players former coaches whatever and try to figure it out and and the the game is growing is developing and is becoming something new and I'm always presenting something new so I have players with me for six years they like I don't remember doing like the same drill over and over ever Hmm. you know so I love my creativity that that's the difference and I think there are I've thankfully I have met many club directors that are growth mindset I and I tell our coaches like if we want our players to be growth mindset we need to be growth mindset we need to have it Yes. We need to live it. It cannot be, you got to do, and I don't do whatever. 100%. Yes. So, and I'm only growing like satellites. I'm not in a hurry to grow that. I want to find the right people. Mm. Dorsey and Emily are a fan, like my second family, my third family that I found in the United States. And it's awesome. I trust them with blind eyes and they believe in optimum so much. Mm. Sometimes it makes me work harder because of them, you know, and then New York is Steph Botta, who I coached since I was yeah. 14 and you know her. She's awesome, so yeah. everything she knows is optimum. And I was like, I trust that kid. And I love seeing her develop into an entrepreneur, a coach, a director. She's doing such a good job, you know, mm-hmm. while going through med school. Like it's, it's insane. Bonkers. 
That's so awesome. So I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I love this. And do I need more? I don't need more. Do I want more? Yes, because I want to create this atmosphere that we have created. You know, I tell my players, we're a family, but it's like you have a third cousin, second cousin. You don't like all of them in your club or maybe in your college team, but you have to learn how to live with them and be mm-hmm. family. You know, so it creates a lot of like accountability yeah. of what you do. And that's that's one of those, you know, those nice slides uh, that people can take from sport. And if they focus on it, can take that into their family, their next level life of who they go with. You know, when first start living with somebody that you're in a relationship with, you have to understand that you're not going to like every single little minuscule part of them and every single thing that they do. But as a teammate going through sports before you have to deal with that, you have to, you take a look at all your teammates. You're like, he does that, but we're going to succeed together, mm-hmm. you know? And if people could, could translate that. I think some people have, have trouble translating that from their court to their personal life. Mm-hmm. And if they could just focus and just make that little bridge of like, I did that on the court. I know how to do that. I can do that in my personal life and be a better wife, be a better husband, be a better roommate, whatever it is, uh, dad, mom. I think that's one of those really tangible situations where you can say, I know that you don't like your middle's arm swing, but you're still going to set them and you're going to like make their arm swing work for them and you're going to celebrate them, you know, and you yeah. can find any yeah. situation for your. For Do your not stop life. setting your middle if you have a beef with him right now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's professionalism, being mature, right? All that stuff to play the sport. But with Optimum, I'm really happy that I was able to create this, these opportunities for either my former players. And I have a lot of my pro players that coach or my mm. men's open that coach for me. So I love providing opportunities. I have former junior players who are playing currently in NCAA, but they come back and do internships with me. So they help me with the business side of it. Or they, cool. uh, I had two that ran, one ran Optimum, the other one ran Rise Beach Tour. So I, I just love providing more opportunities for everybody and hopefully, you know, just help them make more money or get experience to get their, those hours that they need from college. And I'm really proud because obviously like everybody else, you go through hardships. And last year we got voted Florida region directors of the year, Jules and I, and I was Florida female coach of the year. Congratulations. Thank you. And this That's year, awesome. I cannot believe it hasn't sunk in yet. We are USCV Club of the Year, Juniors Beach Beach Club of the Year. And I also got awarded Female Beach Coach of the Year by USCV. Just cleaning it up. (laughs) How did you hold all the trophies and awards uh, after the day? I only have have two right now. So when I get the other two, I'll let you know. (laughs) That's awesome. It's I don't know, like, you know, when you like, you work so hard and you get to your first final, you don't, you're like, I don't even know how I got here, but I got here, you know, but you know, you worked so hard, but you can't pinpoint what happened, but you never, it's usually never like this huge turning point, right? It's the the Mm -hmm. consistency over time. And you started this in 2014. We're now in 2022 for anybody who's thinking like, I didn't succeed this year. Hey, it's eight years eight years it pre put into this and plus all of the time before that, that went into the knowledge building and experience and, and book like, and you know, eight years into, into developing. And since optimum first exists now club of the year, that's unreal, but that takes time, consistency, ups and downs, little, had to push it away a little bit to tackle some more important things and then bring it back to perspective, right? (laughs) Tears and sleepless nights. Oh my goodness. You know, just trying to do better. But one thing is that I tell my players that is really important is like, I didn't do it alone. 
you know, you can have all your training. You can play your volleyball. You don't do it alone. Somebody's going to be there with you. Or you've had many people come along the way. And that's what, um, to get voted, to get those votes, it's not me saying, hey, look at us. We're good. It's about all the parents and players and former parents and players who gave their time to actually vote for us. And you don't get those votes unless you did the work. And I'm proud of my coaches and Jules as my director because I could not do it without them. <laughs> There's no way I could not do it without them. And my wife in the beginning, just pushing me to be better at business because I was I always say I was a volleyball player. All I care was about eat, sleep, train and plan my next trip. So once I started beach, I mean, I started off from the beach. I was like, how do I do all this business stuff, you know? You don't do it alone. So that's why you need to build a team, a team around you, whatever you do. I think that's a, a good place for us to, to cut it here. Such a good conversation, Pri. I uh, can't thank you enough for sharing, telling me uh, everything. I feel like I know you a, a lot better and, and I would love to have you on more on the other podcasts is someday I'll release the episodes, but we can talk about like the actual business side and, and then your experience mm -hmm. learning that because there's, I'm sure there's a number of people that do want to start a club, but have no idea how to start or they hesitate for years because it's just scary to start your reach own. Reach out, reach out. I've, I always have people reaching out and I'm willing to share. I want to grow the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be through me. Mm. You know, I want to help. So awesome. Feel free. Well, thank you so much, guys. If you guys want to follow Pre and Lima and what she is doing, we have all of the links included in our podcast underneath this. This video is on YouTube. Of course, it'll be in the description and we will link and, and tag every one of her sites, her companies and her personal Instagram. And like she just said, reach out. If you're going down to Florida, if you want to start your own club, if you want to become a part of Optimum, she just mentioned that she just gives internships for kids who are looking for work experience in, and, and in the sporting world. So if you need a job, an internship, it never hurts to throw at least a message to somebody that so that you can learn how to do a job effectively or maybe just become an employee that goes for for you and me both <laughs> you guys <laughs> you guys got any skills like uh, i want to add to my rolodex of people who've got yes skills. same yeah. same yeah. even and if I your skill wanna... is hustle right yeah i just want to put one more thing i started a tiktok with beach coaches diary so you're gonna get to like know a little bit more what's in my head and everyone's know i also started posting like cute little not cute but like some good little drills that i love awesome. that you know i just made up so and it's uh what is it on it's on tiktok beach coach diaries beach coach diaries on tiktok cool follow along all, all right, right. Pri, thank you so much thank you so much that was great yes my pleasure anytime have a nice day bye you too bye